Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur. And ten years ago today, this guy put out American Slang. It's Benny Horowitz. Happy anniversary, God, man! <laughs> Thanks. It's honestly nice. I mean, they always make me feel a little. I, they don't make me feel that old, honestly. I feel old just from life. Um, <laughs> but I do. I like revisiting it, and I like what people still have to say, and I like thinking of some of the stories and the things that happened as part of it it's it's nice it's always like a cool walk down memory lane when something like this pops up so that as i was just telling you i uh i decided to record orphans and post my first <laughs> igtv today i love it that's a fast song <laughs> but I, the old man's got some jelly arms after a few passes of, of orphan i didn't warm up much either i only did one Bruno Mars song to warn up. <laughs> so I guess that's kind of like, you know, when like the rest of us go out, out, out for a run and like, you know, you got to maybe take three puffs on the inhaler instead of two. The wrists are a little sore as we begin this tune up today. You know, it's one thing I like, I don't, you know, I'm not much for, um, you know, revisionist advice for, for young musicians and stuff like that. Like it kind of annoys me most of the time I hear it. But if there's one thing I did wish I focused on more when I was like a young drummer is like my physical condition. Mm. You know, I, I always figured like if I have enough caffeine or something like <laughs> that, I can just power through whatever I'm doing. And I did find like when I just got a little more control over like my body and my wind and like got in better shape, it's just easier to play drums and it's actually more fun and playing fast and playing long sets is a little more fluid. And, and I probably think, you know, if I did take that seriously a long time ago, you know, maybe I would have been a little bit of a better drummer, maybe a little more technical, <laughs> a little something, but you know, it was also part of the style. Like I'm a swing drummer. I'm a field drummer, you know? Yeah. So if big boy needs like a burrito and a joint before, <laughs> before the show, uh, you know, fuck it. <laughs> Do you have a favorite story from the making of that record that uh, people may or may not know about? Well, we did. We we didn't really have a practice space, and at the time, uh, Alex and I were living up in North Jersey. I was in Jersey City, and Alex, I believe, was in Hoboken, and the other guys had already moved down closer to the shore. So we were a couple hours apart. Mm. Um, and you know, this was really before we were trying to, uh, you know, pay for a studio to practice at or something. Cause it was kind of out of the cards with the budgets. So we decided on our friend, Kyle Rogendorf's house in, uh, Parlin, New Jersey, which is basically like South Amboy, you know, mm. down on route nine. Um, and he just like, he's like, I'm at work all day. My wife's at work all day. He had a basement with a full like music setup already because you know he's a music guy, he fixes yeah. guitars. And he was also my drum tech for many years. <laughs> and uh, he just offered his crib. He gave huh? us a key and let us come every day. And it was sort of a you know mutual location. It was free. It was the same kind of drive for both of us. And uh, yeah, that was a pretty awesome part of it. There was a bunch of cats in the house. You had to make sure um, didn't get out. I guess one funny part about it was... At the beginning, there was like a real Central Jersey type sandwich shop in town called Big Wally's. 
So you can imagine what this place was serving, you know, nothing not covered in gravy or cheese or just something, you know. We were into it for like the first week and we realized like, all right, I'm eating like shit. We're spending a lot of money on lunch. So like within a week, a bunch of us started like brown bagging it to the house, you know, and packing our own lunches to go. Um, um, another funny thing that actually somebody just reminded me of on, uh, on Twitter this guy, Craig Manning, he used to work for Absolute Punk. He um, had a nice, like, 10-year write-up, just, you know, a personal expression of what the record meant to him. And uh, he reminded me that record leaked about two months early. Um, and it was part of this epic music industry leak that all happened that day. There was, like, 10 bands who all leaked their records. And it was because the labels were using this, in quotes, a secure server to host the album so like press and uh people from that end could listen to the record before it was available and some teenager like a 16 or 17 year old in europe hacked the entire thing and blew up like a dozen people's records on the same day ours being one of them um but in honesty like leaks never hurt the gaslight anthem they always help you know we weren't like a huge you know promotional band mm. not so good at it anyway and uh and you know our records i think the fact that they leaked always helped our first week sales you know because people were into the record by the time the record actually came out nice. so didn't bother me much i thought it was kind of funny but <laughs> i think there was some uh people in the industry who were noon too pleased <laughs> <laughs> well i guess that this is a perfect transition Something significant in this podcast happened on this day in music history, but let's broaden the scope a little bit. Let's get into this day in music history. Well, I have two. Okay. First, just a quick one. 1972, David Bowie's The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars was released. We covered this album extensively during our tourney, <laughs> so I don't think we have to get into it now, right. but that's a big day. Now, the one I found that I found really interesting, 1975, John Lennon sued the U.S. government, and he charged that officials tried to deny his immigration through selective prosecution. Hmm. I'd never heard this story before. I looked into it, and it was pretty fascinating. So in 71, Lennon was very involved in the peace movement. He became friends with Jerry Rubin, Bobby Seale, you know, a few of the major activists at the time. And a few months after moving to New York in December 71, he sang at a rally for John Sinclair. And apparently the FBI was in the crowd taking notes. Um, and they were this worked up about it because in 1972, during the presidential election, it was the first time 18 year olds could vote in a presidential election, not 21. And young people being the largest anti-war contingent, coupled with his, you know, popularity with young people, had, you know, the conservatives in government shook. So Senator Strom Thurmond, a name <laughs> that's still fucking relevant for, you know, sadly, from South Carolina, took an old 1968 marijuana charge for John Lennon and used it to get the INS to cancel his visa. Wow. Um, John Lennon took uh, great umbrage to this. He thought it was um, a personal attack. He thought he needed to make a statement. 
uh, and really stand up for himself, which he did. And uh, his persistence in fighting the case finally paid off in October 1975. So this thing really went for a long time. I think his lawsuit started June 16th and ended October 7th, 75. Uh, and the court decision uh, left no question as the real motives. The judge, Irving Kaufman, was quoted as saying, the courts will not condone selective deportation based upon secret political grounds. And also went on to say that Lenin's four-year battle to remain in our country is testimony to his faith in this American dream. Mm. Less than one year later in June 76, John Lennon got his green card back. Wow. But I had never heard this story, and he really went tooth and nail with the FBI and, and uh, the conservatives in government. So this actually kind of adds to my conspiracy theories about why he was killed, too. But that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> that's going to be our spinoff podcast when yeah. we get into JFK and the John Lennon assassinations. I coming mean, we up. should be doing <laughs> true crime anyway. We'd have thousands more followers, you know? <laughs> People love hearing that shit. <laughs> so my submission for today is on this day in 1967, the Monterey Pop Festival began in California, mm. in Monterey, California. Now all proceeds went to charity, which is great. And uh, apparently the performers performed for free, which that would never happen today. But no, let's run down the lineup a little bit. Now, this was a very significant music festival. Some yeah. could easily say... It was this, and, and Woodstock kind of defined the decade, but you had The Who, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, also on the bill, The Birds, Grateful Dead, Otis Redding, Simon and Garfunkel, Ooh. Steve Miller Band, Canned Heat, The Mamas and the Papas, Jefferson Airplane, Buffalo Springfield, and The Electric Flag. Also, on this same day, to commemorate the start of the festival, uh, John Phillips of The Mamas and the Papas wrote San Francisco to promote the festival, which... Later became a hit for Scott McKenzie. So, big day in 1967 for music right here. Monterey Pop was a classic. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd heard some interviews with the people, you know, the Laurel, the Laurel Canyon crowd who was talking about Monterey Pop in a very like, yeah, you know, we thought it would be cool kind of thing. And it ended up being great. Mm. Uh, you know, they kind of had a passive look on the whole thing. But, yeah, I do think that that arguably – maybe even has like the better quality sets and yeah. musical sound for the things you can listen to than the Woodstock sets themselves, but certainly a, uh, a momentous uh, occasion. Monterey's got a beautiful aquarium. I don't know mm. if you've ever been there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you watch uh, the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa documentary last night? I didn't see it. No, but I, I know a lot about that shit. Like, you know, I was, 17 when that was going on so i was like yeah fully fully immersed in the summer of 98 that was I even read that book i think it was the costas book right exactly yeah yeah that was the first summer of baseball that i like remember like all of it because like the yank that the, sadly enough that was my introduction to the yankees like i can probably only go down yeah. from there because i was like maybe one of the greatest teams you'll ever see for the yanks but yeah no yeah. that documentary was something else because it just ignored the whole steroid thing just completely i know i know like how can you do that i, I it's, a it's a strange revisionist history going on about it right now but i honestly almost appreciate it in a way like everybody fucked up we <laughs> all knew yeah seriously we all knew every conscious 
baseball fan knew exactly what was happening. Like Mark McGuire was this kind of player. Then yeah. all of a sudden he has acne and dacne <laughs> and is like 80 pounds heavier and breaking Roger Maris's records, like no problem. Sammy Sosa, again, like always a good power hitter, but not a good average hitter, struck out all the time, like not somebody who would do that. I mean, even the same year, my boy, Ken Griffey Jr., who, who is the, you know, the golden child yeah. of baseball, hits 56 home runs out of nowhere <laughs> and stays healthy all year. I don't know. You know, he was probably doing it too. Yeah. So I, I do think like it's easy to sort of villainize these guys, but I, I sort of like the way Sosa frames it now. He's almost like, yeah, like everyone was doing it. I did it too. We basically <laughs> saved baseball. And I'm glad you enjoyed it, you know? And I'm kind of in the same boat at this point. I really don't give a shit. Neither of them really deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, though. Barry Bonds does. They probably don't. Here's how I've always felt about Hall of Fames, though. I feel like Hall of Fame, like, it's just a museum. I feel like people always forget that. It's about a... It's a museum that houses the history of the game. So, I mean... You can't tell the story of baseball without the summer of 1998. I do think that you need to put something about, you know, the scandal that came later. But that's to... fair. What about a small wing? Yeah, a small wing, like a summer of 98 wing. <laughs> and when you walk into it, it's just two, two, two medical needles <laughs> crossed into an X that you walk under. Just so you know what's going on in there. It's like the juice room, you know? I, I, I think that could be fun. Why, we, why don't you just put a steroid portion of the Hall of Fame in the Hall of or Fame? Or just a cheaters and gamblers section in there so you can get Shoeless Joe in there. You get Pete Rose because yeah. you really can't tell the story of baseball. And arguably, it's the most interesting part of baseball. Shoeless Joe, Pete Rose, and then one. this. It's a tough one. <laughs> it's a tough sell I'm not, I'm not sure about that one but yeah no I, I do kind of agree especially since uh, we, we'll never have clarity you know what I mean like there's so many players that are just conjecture not conjecture players who were definitely doing it who didn't get caught who were viewed in a different way of the people who did get caught so it is something I, you know as a baseball fan I would love to just like wrap up and yeah. finish you know what i mean and and i think that's a pretty good idea let's do the steroid wing in the hall of fame <laughs> you want to do a change.org for that <laughs> it's pretty popular these yeah. days but benny this leads us perfectly into our first and only topic today we, that's right we're keeping it with baseball and benny major league baseball and, and the players association on saturday told owners that negotiations are over. They're finito. And then the commissioner's office should go and dictate a schedule on how long the season would be and when the players can report. Uh, the union set the stage for MLB Commissioner Rod Manfred to impose short season expected game range to be about 50. And the union asked owners to explain how they're going to do so by Monday. So, as, And we're recording this about 5 o'clock on a Monday no guidelines yet. They're probably going to dump it after 7 p.m. I, I would imagine that's what these big wigs do. Uh, Post but, news cycle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. But the players uh, would play at a prorated rate uh, that was established in the March 26th agreement, which has really come back to bite Major League Baseball in the butt right, right here. But it would not provide the required consent 
for an expanded postseason that the owners want. So the owners are, are they're really trying to get everything they want right now. And not to mention the current CBA that was existing pre-corona expires next year. So a lot to get into right here, but it looks like we're at a standoff. The Players Association, as I said, just said, hey, propose a schedule right now which more than likely means that the players would file a grievance, the owners would yeah. file a grievance right Both back, grievance. and around and around we go. But I gotta yep. ask, do you even care? Because the more I've read about the story, I'm like, why should I care about this? The the lane for baseball to get the national spotlight again, it's over, it's past. Like, right, 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 right. the NBA is gonna be going on, I'm sure the NFL is gonna have a whole lot of controversy, so they had this window here to have the spotlight to be the boys of summer, and they blew it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. The only good thing about this is that no one's talking about the Yankees involved in the cheating scandal <laughs> because of all of this. That kind of just dropped quickly. A bunch of Yankees fans were like, all right, guess we better jump off that high horse, huh? And then, you know, it kind of just started going away already. So yeah. good for that. No one knows the Yankees cheated because <laughs> they're not paying attention. But I think what you said is a huge thing. I mean... Baseball is the summer sport. And to so many people, especially like me, former Yankees season ticket holder when I'm a kid, like nothing represents the summer more to me than getting to the stadium, grilling outside, going inside, getting a beer and some garlic fries and soaking, sweating in the sun and seeing nine innings, going on my scorecard. <laughs> like, like nothing. And they miss that. They miss that opportunity to grab people. And they also beyond being the summer sport, I mean, they're definitely out of the four major sports, the one who would have an easier time practicing social distancing. There's so much less contact, so much space on a field. You could actually manage it a little better, it seems, than uh, the other major sports. The, the one thing I think is really interesting about this, just from a fan's perspective, is, uh, you know, unlike the 94 strike, where, you know, the MLB and the teams had the open window to just villainize the players and the players union. And they could do that because they just funneled news by themselves into newspapers, into ESPN and kind of controlled the narrative. And the difference now is that what the owners make, what the owners are worth and the players opinions and gripes about the matter are much more transparent. And it's leading to the first time I can remember that the, onus is on the teams to pay pay fairly and get baseball going when the narrative almost always when these labor disputes come up is like hey rich motherfuckers play yeah. you're already rich fuck you you should be playing you're lucky to be there and it's the first time i'm kind of hearing a different tone which is hey you really rich motherfuckers you guys you could pay these guys for an extra 30 games you can pay yeah. your minor league players and you're still going to be fine. Um, and, and that's an interesting part of it just from a narrative perspective. I don't know how that's going to play out and how long it's going to take baseball to recover from this because, you know, as we talked about early in this, mentioning the summer of 98, that was kind of the thing that scooped baseball back up after the strikes around 94 and 95. That was a few years. Yeah. So baseball's already had a lot of problems and uh, this is just mounting on top of it. It's, it's getting ugly. And you're right. I think they, wish, they, they missed the opportunity to make this 
a great thing because yeah. regardless of what happens now, it's a little ugly. Well, I think the big difference between now and, you know, the 90s when those labor strikes happen is the fan is smarter. They read about BAM tech and they read about how yeah. pretty much Major League Baseball owners are profiting off of everything you watch on the Internet. Your Hulu's, your Disney Plus, that all goes through BAM tech. Uh, so fans know that. And then also there's the interesting thing that can only be a uh, like the social political angle here is a lot of people are out of work right now and they're angry that they got laid off by bosses employers and stuff like that by these massive corporations who are still continue some of them still continuing to make money and they're like okay the the these millionaires and the context of money has gone out the window it's a worker versus an an employer situation here and you actually have the, the average American feeling bad for like these guys that are making millions of dollars because that doesn't matter anymore because they can empathize with them greater than the owners that regardless of if they play any games or not are still going to be making a load of money off of the TV networks, BAM tech and whatever else. Yeah, no, that's a fact. I mean, most, most people are scraping to get a fucking $1,200 check to pay for four months of their life with kids and shit like that. Like, yeah, you couldn't be more right. People are uh, more sympathetic these days to the inequity in money and corporate structure than they ever have been, which in some ways is promising to me that people are aware of it, but it's not making things any better. Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right, coming up next, you may know him from podcast on the athletic words at bleacher report he's mo dockel and is coming your way right after this mo i'm so happy you're here you know i had it written down in my calendar i was going to reach out to you you're going to come on the pod because i thought that we were going to have top gun maverick i know last time we talked it was a deep dive on top gun maverick but unfortunately we probably won't have that for another year or so June 16th, 2021. Let's get back and circle that. We can put that one on the calendar date there uh, to bring me back for that one. Uh, The big question about the new Top Gun, are they redoing the volleyball scene? Is that part of the new one? I imagine they have to do some sort of scene. Oh, excuse me. Uh, uh, um, I imagine they have to do some sort of recap to it. But, like, I've also avoided the trailers. Like I don't oh, okay. watch movie trailers. So like it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, I don't want to know anything. They already have my money. I can give it to them twice if they want. Like right, right, right. They, they've already got that. So you want to uh, go in fresh. Yeah. I don't want to see anything. I mean, I know, I know kind of the, a little bit of the premise and I'm like, all right, I don't want to know anything else. Let's just go. Since you're a big fan, I got to get your opinion on something. Whose decision do you think it was? for Anthony Edwards to leave his shirt on in the original. Do you think it was his or it was like the director's? Oh, it's got to be his. I mean, like, listen, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm him and I'm like, oh, like yeah. Val Kilmer's ripped. The, the, I forget the other guy's name. Uh, the other dude, Slider's ripped. Uh, okay, slider's ripped. And, and, and then you're looking at Tom Cruise and you're like, I ain't taking my shirt off. That's how like, I feel half the time. I go, that's how I feel like when I go to the beach sometimes. Yeah, it's like yeah, – yeah. Nope, not taking my shirt off. Y'all could leave. Y'all could use your imagination. Um, and then I would make the joke, too, of like, that's just so I don't embarrass y'all. Um, 
course. But like, yeah, it's, it had to have been his decision. It's got to be commonly known as like the Anthony Edwards. Like when right. you go to the beach and you won't take your shirt off, it's the Anthony Edwards. I mean, if you're the director, do you think like he took off his shirt and he was like, no, nah. oh. <laughs> put it back on, please. <laughs> you're, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> oh, man. Now, my question is, so the other night I paid $20 to watch this Pete Davidson King of Staten Island movie. Lived up to the price of admission. You know, if if it was like a two person night, you know, dinner and, and a movie, you know, I, I guess it kind of equals out to the $20 thing. So. I thought I got my money's worth. Would you pay $20 for Top Gun Maverick tomorrow and you get it for, I don't know, 24 hours? Because that's, that's how long they give you when you pay $20. Yes. I wouldn't. <laughs> it wouldn't be. It's not. I give them 40. Like, it wouldn't even be a <laughs> argument. Like, this is going. I'm going straight into it. Love your dedication. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a Listen, I love Top Gun. Like, if you if you went to my Instagram I literally have done watched the movie and made comments throughout on like Instagram stories and have it highlighted. Like my friends have watched the movie Top Gun just through my eyes. Like that's it. Like that's my movie, man. They get my money. You got to do your own rewatchables. No, man, they they wouldn't even be able. It it wouldn't be too be too long. (laughs) I could tell an ancillary story. I'm not going to name the person, but a very good friend of mine had personal relations with the Tom Skerritt character of Top Gun in real life. Oh. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that actually happened. How did they not have a podcast? <laughs> that yeah. person is not a liar. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, the real reason we brought you here today, Mo, <laughs> not because, you know, the Disney bubble is crumbling, all of the other stuff, but we wanted to get your take on the world of basketball right now. And it seemed like we were rolling smooth for a little bit. And then next thing you know, Kyrie Irving waits a week and he's like, hey, I guess I'm kind of against this. So kind of paint the scene where we're at with a the season coming back as of right now. Yeah, I I don't know if I'd say the bubble's crumbling, um, but there's hesitation. And I think, you know... First of the timing of Kyrie, I think part of it is, you know, Kyrie went with the decision at first, and then I think he started to hear from other guys saying like, "Hey, I'm not necessarily with this," you know, and and I don't, and 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 I think guys felt like they weren't heard. I mean, let's be honest, it's a 450 person union, and for them to come to a decision unanimously, so you know, supposedly in a, in a week seems a bit absurd. I mean, that's 450 different agendas, you know, if we're really honest. So I think there's a level of, you know, Kyrie kind of looking at it going like, wow, a lot of guys weren't heard. And, and, you know, he has the right to change his mind a bit and, and, and to rethink things and, and, and maybe to think deeper um, about certain things. And the week was crazy. Yeah. You know, in terms of protests and 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 social change and 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 and, and the social justice that that they're fighting for, um, I think the, uh, you know, I think just all of that kind of led to Kyrie saying like, let's let's get on a call and see where we all actually really stand and try to get more people heard, and I think that's the job of somebody who's who's a part of the union, you know, as a vice president. Um, I think you know he's doing his job. I 
listen, a lot of this is he's getting a lot of flack for it because of things he's said in the past. Yes. Right. Like, and we've, listen, I'm not even a huge Kyrie guy, but it's like, this to me is a smart thing and him doing his job. Like I respect him for that regard in that sense. I don't know if this is going to ultimately change things. I think there are guys on both sides of the aisle. I don't think there's a right or wrong. I think it's, this is all individual choice situations. I mean, yeah. mind you, it's still a pandemic. We still have a whole bunch of other things going on in this scenario. Um, and it's a tough question to answer across the board. So I think, you know, I think ultimately in the end we'll, we'll, we'll get the bubble. I think I don't know if we'll get any major player to, to say they're not coming. Um, but I think uh, it, it's going to be interesting. You know, as a as an old punk rocker and a Brooklyn Nets fan, you know, I can't help but love Kyrie Irving. I consider him the punk rocker of the NBA at this point. <laughs> Question authority, empower yourself, you know, don't let anybody chop you down. And, you know, he wanted the questions answered before risking, you know, risking himself and others. And I think you're right. It seems as if he was uh, advocating for a lot of other players and the history of Kyrie uh, is kind of, you know, making people lose the plot of what he's actually asking and what he's actually not demanding, but the answers and the clarity that he wants. I feel like if it was someone else who was doing this, who wasn't spending a year telling us there was flat earth and, you know, stuff like that, that the, the plot would be a little more right on. Do, do you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, it's a big difference if, uh, Chris Paul comes out and says this right. or, or, or LeBron James or Damian Lillard, or, you know, like there's, there's a list of guys there. Um, and, and it's, it's definitely, some of it's the messenger. It, it, the message tends to get lost a little bit with that because of things like the flat earth stuff and, 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 and his reputation, which is, which I also think sometimes it's unfair. We hold these guys to yeah, this stuff, me too. man. The idea is I probably had at 20, you know, or vastly different than what I hold now. You know, and and and, yeah. and and so on, and we forget sometimes how young some of these guys are. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think you know we we hold them to these things, and 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 and, and like I said, it's it's I'm not even a, a, a diehard Kyrie guy, um, you know, but I just think in this scenario, he's he's doing the right thing, and 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 yeah. I think we'd be remiss to not to ignore the message just because of who the messenger is. Cause he's not the only guy he's really voicing what a lot of players are thinking. Right. I mean, he's a shit stirrer, which, you know, is usually fun. And I think people are just assuming he's stirring shit for kicks right now. now right. Well, what's your sense of um, the average player in this, you know, not the stars. Um, what's your sense of how the average player, the, you know, middle baseline player is, is feeling about this. Do they want to go? Do they think there should be a season or is it just all over the map? I kind of think it's all over the map. I mean, let's just, to be honest, the guys who, who, who are going to get hit the most and hurt the most from, let's just say they, they cancel the season are going to be the, the mid-level guys and the, the, the younger guys and the, and the minimum guys just because they don't have the money in the bank account. Right. that Kyrie has, that LeBron has, and, sure. and, and Chris Ball. Like, these are $100 million guys, and there are guys there who are, you know, just trying to get by and need these paychecks. Um, and, you know, I think the thing, too, that's a little bit scary in this sense is, you know, if this doesn't happen, 
there's a good chance the CBA gets ripped up. And that's because most likely the NBA's TV deals will get ripped up, you know, through these things. And, you know, that just leads to a tough negotiation and a tough push for next season, you know, and, and, you know, people who just think like, don't play this season, just focus on next season. So man, there might not be a next season. If, if, if we, if we do that or, or the terms for next season might be even more unfavorable for the players in that regard, if they don't play this season. So there's, there's a ton of moving parts and it's such a difficult scenario with all of this stuff. And it's delicate, man. You gotta be careful, you know, because we all understand what's at risk. I mean, let's just be honest. The three of us don't suffer the consequences that, that black Americans have, you know, um, you know, we, they've been so uh, dealt with unjustly for 400 years and then some, you know, it's, it's not a, a thing. So it's not like, I'm careful in the sense of like, I'm not telling anybody what to do, what they can and can't do. Yes. You know, that's, it's not my place. Um, you know, I think, I, I think they have a chance to really amplify the voice by playing. Yeah. I think there's, there's an element of that as well. If you do it right. And if you really push to it and, you know, I, I look to like, I'm, I wasn't even alive, but I still remember the, the Mexico Olympics with, you know, John Carlos and Tommy Smith standing on the podium with the black fist raised, you know, like that's ingrained in my memory. I mean, I can name it down to Norman Powell in the second place uh, position, wearing the human rights pin that those, you know, and and supporting those guys. And, you know, like that, that carries significance. And, you know, sometimes it's the imagery, you know, and, and I don't know what the message sends. I don't know if, if this will lead to distracting the, the movement or not. I, I just know also, you know, my opinion of it is this is going to be a lot longer fight than three months. Yeah, you know, right. you know, this is going to be years, you know, to, to, to get the change, to maintain the change and keep it and make sure it never goes away sure. is a long, long time. And, and so, you know, uh, Dwight Howard with this powerful statement of, you know, there's no need for basketball now, right. you know, that he, he's right. But, you know, the, the honest truth is, was there ever a need? Like, let's, you know, I mean, like yeah. I need it because sure. if I'm messed up. Like that's just who I am. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. in terms yeah. of society, and everything is happening, yeah. <laughs> right? Now, in your opinion, though, what what do you think makes a stronger statement and gives the player the better platform? You know, is it the LeBron style of using the NBA and the platform for advocacy, or do you think it's staying out of it and using your time simply for advocacy. I think it's an individual choice. You know, look at LeBron's a great example. You know, everybody kind of keeps saying like LeBron needs to step up. I mean, I apologize. Like how much more does he have to do? (laughs) I mean, he's, he's built a school in Ohio. He, he, he funds scholarships for, for kids. Um, he's starting a, 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 a voting initiative That's right. to help vote against fight against voter suppression and help yeah. get the vote out. Like, you know, and, and it, listen, we can always say you can do more, but like how much do we have to put, put on his shoulders, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, you know, on all these guys and, and everybody has a different share to it. So for me, you know, LeBron's doing his part. It may not be so upfront that people want, 
you know, want to see him march in the streets and want to see him in Washington or, or, or at these protests, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, he's doing his thing. He's putting his money where his mouth is. He's, he's, he's starting things. So, you know, it's, it's individualized across the board, but what I'd really like to see is I'd like to see the players put the pressure on the NBA itself. Mm. If we're going to have this bubble, let's make it matter. Let's put signage up, Mm. you know, black lives matters, vote.com or, or, you know, whatever it is, let's start. Let's, if you're as, I would challenge Adam Silver saying, you know, if we're as progressive of a league as we seem to think we are, let's show it. Let's put the money where our mouth is now and, and, and start to do that. Because here's the thing, by the time basketball starts, and this is six weeks from now, right? Uh, we're going to have hockey's probably going to be going. We're going to have MLS going, I think. Um, you know, like there's going to be sports. There's going to be distractions. I mean, hell, LA's opened up for yeah. the most part. People are distracted. People yeah. are out at restaurants and doing their thing and living their life, you know, without basketball. Um, you know, we had a phenomenal protest yesterday. Uh, but I think, you know, we're going to have those moments so my thing is like let's just make it like hey if you want to turn on basketball you're going to have to hear about black lives Matter. you're going to see it it's going to be visual yeah yeah and, and, and i think that matters and i think that's something i i i would like to see players kind of pressure the the sure. league because they do have some leverage in that regard yeah that's right what about taking the 20 to 30 minutes of halftime and instead of listening to charles barkley and Shaq talk shit we actually have some, some useful programming, something educational, some links for donations, some, yeah, yeah, it's a great idea. I just think it's the time to, if, if, if you, I think there's ways you can impact having these games and, and, and doing that. Now, again, it's, it's also not necessarily my place to say it, you know, in terms of that right. or sp- speak for the player. This is, again, each player has got to feel differently, you know, and, um, and I don't mean this derogatorily or any way negative, but like, I'd be curious if Kyrie was healthy, what his feel would be, That's true. you know, and, and, and in that sense, and, and it's not a shot at him. It's just, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he felt the same way, you know, and, and I think there are healthy players who, 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 who carry significance for the teams who, who, who feel the same way as him. Sure. Mo, so you brought up a lot of the young guys in the league finding their voice, which young guys during this time of unrest have really stepped up and like you weren't expecting them to be as vocal as they have been. I wouldn't say I wouldn't expect him to be as vocal, but I was impressed by Jalen Brown driving 15 hours to go protest in his home state, you know, like that's a certain level of dedication. Now he's always been, they always talk about him as a different cat and a different thinker and things like that. A few years back, I got to go to an event that he hosted that was a, a tech startup sort of thing. Um, I don't know how I got invited, how I got, I, I'm <laughs> sure I snuck in, like somebody snuck me in through that. Um, but it was really interesting in hearing him speak and he thinks on a different level. So it wasn't a surprise, but it was really cool to see. And it was cool to see Malcolm Brogdon join him. It was really cool to see Trey Young in Oklahoma out there protesting. Um, I mean, gosh, I guess they're not young anymore, but Steph Curry and Clay Thompson in, in, in Oakland. Um, you know, like it was just cool to see NBA players out there. Yeah. And, and, and with the people and Hey, we're, we're out here with you guys and, 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 and we're here fighting for the same changes you are, you know, and the, the whole bucks doing it as a team and things like that. Like all of that stuff was really cool 
and 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 awesome to see and and we need to it needs to continue beyond that i i wonder right now hearing the stories of you know what happened in 1968 and i know there's a lot of contact between guys like you know bill russell and some modern players and and players who are into activism who talk to the older players and it does seem there's a, there's a little bit of an umbrella of regret from some of those players about making the decision to play immediately after the MLK shooting and stuff. And I do wonder if there's a, a connection and if people are learning from the past where, you know, they hear from Bill Russell and they go, you know, he didn't want to play that game. And he, you know, he, he did it another way and maybe we don't have to. Yeah. I think, you know, you should look to those guys. Sure. Um, Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, um, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. I mean, all of these guys have, yeah kind of have a history one area or another in terms sure. of this i mean you look at russell and and, and uh, kareem they were both part of the ali summit that's right you know and that was you know for those that don't really understand that uh, I'm, i can't remember the date off the top of my head um but that was a, a a moment where muhammad ali brought all these athletes together i think jim brown was part of the crew right. you know of what are, how are we going to approach the vietnam war you know, and civil rights and all of those things, you know, I think like that matters, man. And, and, and these guys have significant knowledge and, and, you know, and I think they should reach out to those guys. They should reach out to Tommy Smith and to John Carlos and, and, and get their take and take their temperature. I mean, these are guys that while everything was going on competed and, and, and right right or wrong, it doesn't matter, you know, just get their experiences and what, what did they, are their regrets? Were there things that they, they wish they did differently or would they do it the same or, or whatnot? Like this is important time for all of these guys to study their history. And I think that's important for all of us, not just, you know, the African-American community or African-American athletes. I think it's important for all of us to study it and have an understanding right. of it. Mo, I want to bring you back to Orlando for two seconds, you know, um, and kind of the current pandemic situation there. Orange County, where Orlando is starting to experience a second wave. How do you think that this could potentially delay a, a, the original time, time timetable by the NBA? I think it's, it's scary, yeah. right? We see the numbers and you're just like, oh, wow. Florida's had a, you know, their highest day of, yeah. you know, cases in, in however many days and it's 2,500 and it's scary. It scares hell. I'm scared. I'm not even going like it's not, you know, yeah. like, um, so it's, it's, it's definitely, uh, worrisome. You know, the, the things I kind of look at is, you know, one, they're not going into the bubble tomorrow, right? right? They're going in, in a few weeks. Maybe things will be different. Hopefully things will be better. Who knows? It's, Florida, Florida. Yeah. You know, it's Florida. <laughs> so, you know, you just, you just kind of assume, um, yeah, you don't know what's going to happen. It might be alligators for all we know. That could yeah, be a problem. Yeah. Um, can be shooting coronavirus in two weeks. I mean, what if the biggest issue is crocodiles coming at players and, and you I know, mean. I'm just trying to make a bad joke. <laughs> um, but like, you know, it, it, it is a scary scenario, but I think the NBA is putting in a plan. I think the area that scares me the most with these regards to these numbers is the people who are going to work the the bubble yes the disney cast members as they call them right all live there so where are they at what's their 
uh, level of, of health. And when are we going to start testing them? You know, they're going to start testing NBA players every other day and towards mid to end of June before they even board the plane to go to Orlando. Are we testing the guys who, the people who are going to be entering the bubbles as staff members who are going to be taking care of these players and the coaching staffs? Like when are we going to start taking care of them too? And, and I'm very curious about how all that will shake up, but it's, it's, it's not uh, comforting when you see no, those numbers. No, no. But no but testing we, for grass, which uh, was one of the <laughs> smartest things I think the NBA did in this process where they're like, hey, guys, while you're there, we're going to test you for PEDs, but you can smoke as much weed as you want. That's essentially <laughs> they, they should be, they should be, this should, should be something that should be anyway. gone. Yeah, it should be gone yeah. anyways. It yeah, should be yeah, a rule yeah. that's out, out the door, you know. Um, it's, it's amazing to kind of hear uh, guys like uh, uh, Matt Barnes and, and Al Harrington and, and stuff who, who talk about how much better it was for them to smoke weed than take the pills they take, yeah. you know? And, and like, I know players that at the end of the season literally go through a, a detox right. just to flush out all the pills and all that stuff because they're taking a ton of stuff for anti-inflammatories and things like that. Whereas, you know, it looks like, the science behind marijuana is that, yo, it helps in those regards, you know, and, and in that sense. So really like the NBA should be getting, getting rid of that. I hope they never bring it back. Test for PEDs. Fine. Whatever. Test for the hard drugs, the opiates. Fine. Do test positive for weed. Just, I mean, it's legal pretty much everywhere at this point. Just let it go. I think the thing people don't talk about enough too is, you know, they always talk about it for pain, but you hear about the schedules the NBA players have and, you know, you finish a, you know, a game at um, nearly 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. And then, you know, you're meant to sleep for five hours and get on a plane and go somewhere else. And the things that that can do for sleep management, you know, when you'd rather have a guy popping an Ambien or doing something super unnatural or drinking a ton to go to sleep and, you know, they could just smoke a joint and it's better for all of them. Yeah, I mean, the schedule is brutal. I mean, first yeah. off, I don't think people realize how amped you are after you play a basketball exactly. game at 10 at night. You know, it's think about it this way. A lot of people do happy hours after work. These yeah. dudes are done with work at 1030 whenever the game is finished. You know, and they have some juice leftovers. They've been running around and stuff. It's not like they're just going to go straight home and go to bed. Yeah, no, I've seen it and dealt with it firsthand as a musician. All right. Where, you know, just to get on stage, you do – you know, I'm a coffee guy, but I've seen some people do some more extreme measures to get on stage and perform. And yeah, you're right. You're riding high, you get a win, you got all this adrenaline. And then what are you supposed to do to come down in a reasonable time? It's, it's, it's a pretty uh, strange thing to try to gauge, especially when you're demanding such a level of professionalism and um, being at the top of your athletic game all the time. I feel like at this point, whatever you need to do to do that, go ahead and do it. You know? Yeah, I mean, your body just gets beat up. I mean, I did it as a video coordinator. I traveled right. with the team for, for two full years, and I was exhausted. You sure. know, when, when, when I was let go from the Clippers, I slept for three months. Like, it wasn't even like – I just didn't do anything. I just loafed around the, uh, the, my apartment and just it literally didn't do anything. Like, yeah. just was trying to figure out how to get back to a normal sleep schedule. Um, you know, cause like you said, you, we go from a game to a plane to a new city. You're, right. you're getting into the hotel at three in the morning. Right. Um, you know, you have a, a team meeting at 11 AM for breakfast. You know, you go back and nap if you're a player and, 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 and then you're back on the 
bus at, you know, three thirty, four o'clock to go right. get ready for a game at seven, seven thirty or whatever. It's, it's a uh, exhausting and it wears yeah. you out. And, you know, I mean, that's kind of my case for why I think they have too many games and they need to shorten the schedule, but sure. that's a whole other battle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they can't do, you know, musicians don't have to be in great shape. So, you know, doing some cocaine to get on and drinking a bottle of whiskey to get down at the end. Yeah. A basketball player can't do that. You're not playing well. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, it, yeah, who knows? Some of these guys might, <laughs> who knows? some guys might play better. You never know, but yeah, that's true. You just got to, uh, but I think the, the, I like that they're, they're, they're getting rid of that for this, the time now. Yeah, and I, and I, and I hope, it's something they're looking at in terms of long-term. We're not going to test for marijuana. Yeah. So do you um, think we'll see um, basketball on July 30th? I think so. I think ultimately there is too much money involved. Um, I think coming back for the players in that sense puts $650 million, I think is what I heard in terms of back into the players' hands. Um, that's a ton of money. Obviously the owners are going to make some of their money back uh that they've lost during this i just think you know both sides are seems fairly motivated we'll see um but if i had to guess right now i still think we're going to get basketball on july 30th um and we'll we'll hopefully be able to finish if they do a good enough job with the bubble right i was hoping you could give me some insight into something that you know i don't understand so 450 members of players union they were sort of told about a vote didn't all vote. Um, can you give me some insight into what the player reps actually do in these scenarios and why are so many rookies and second year players player reps? Is it a, is it a, you know, a patsy kind of position that they just toss out and, and what kind of um, role are they actually playing in, in communicating and making decisions? Well, I, I think the first thing to look at is what the player rep does, right? And that's basically they relay the news. They're the, they're the messenger, right? They're coming in and they're bringing, hey, this is what's going on with the players' union. This is, this is whatever it is. We're, we're talking about this for the CBA. Uh, we're, 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 we're negotiating this aspect and things like that. Like their, their job is the, they're the middleman between the players' union and the actual team. Okay. Um, and, and if there are things they're frustrated, you know, if their team's frustrated with, they'll go to them and then they'll go to the union and, and so on. Um, I think there is kind of a, a weird thing where it is always kind of the younger guys for the most part. And I think cause part of it is the time constraints it takes, mm. you, you know, there, there are meetings you have to attend. There are phone calls you have to be on top of and, and listen and, and then be able to relay the information. It's not, it's almost homework, you know? Right. Um, right. Uh, in that regard so I think you know some teams take it pretty seriously and 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 it's important to them and and a lot of times it kind of just gets lost around and that's how you end up sometimes with guys who don't show up to meetings or to vote or 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 to do their things and that that can lead to sticky situations what what do you think would be a a solution to that Uh, you know and to make the um the players unions a little more tight and getting the players on the same page do you think some something could be done for that um i honestly don't know uh i think you know it's funny the players wanted to vote for all-star right and then we saw how serious they take it because then you have guys like boban getting a vote who i love to death but shouldn't be voted for the all-star right like you have these a level of that um 
I think just over time, players are getting more and more an understanding of how important it is to be involved with the union. Um, and, and I think we're slowly getting there. Um, it's just a matter of guys understanding what the union does for them and, yeah. and, and how important it is to be involved. So, uh, it's just along those, it's along the lines of all of us trying to know what's going on with our city councils. Right. Right. Yeah. How many of us know I can only, only now could pr- I probably name one or two guys. And even now I should, I should be able to know all of them. Um, but like, it's an important thing that I should be more on top of. And yeah. I'm just not. I'm proud of the fact that uh, I slid into my city councilman's DMs about a year ago. There you and, go. And we have an open line now, which is nice. <laughs> Perfect. That's what you're supposed to do. And I yeah. need to do better with that, you know. So I understand it from the player's side. Yeah, yeah. So last one from us here. Your good buddy, uh, Skip Bayless, brought up your column about <laughs> LeBron MJ debate and how it you said you made the point that if LeBron won the title with the Lakers, he'd be back in that conversation. Number one, I can't believe Shannon Sharp did you like that on national TV. <laughs> but uh kind of just lay out the case that you made for LeBron getting back in this MJ conversation. Well, I just look, you know, there was always it felt like a split divide and then the last dance documentary came out and it felt like the pendulum really swung towards Jordan. I just want to preface too that I actually hate the debate to begin with. Um, you know, like for me, it's 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 hard to judge guys across the era. I enjoy, I think both are amazing in their times, and you know, I I I, I want to enjoy LeBron while I have him. You know, yeah. and, and and things. And when we talk about the greatest of all times, we tend to forget Kareem Abdul-Jabbar a ton, and I think he has a a voice in this as well. Um, sure. But the, what I was trying to say in that sense is. You know, the the title, though, is it's – this is a tough championship to win. Mm-hmm. You know, this is going to be a weird environment. Quarantined for three months um, without your family from the, the first half of it, it feels like. Um, you know, it, it, this is going to have a lot of challenging on the mental aspect and strength that you and your team are going to have to have to win it. Um, I think there's a lot that goes into it, and I think – you know, we, we sometimes, as much as we want to ding LeBron for losing so many finals, we never give him credit for going to so many, um, yeah. you know, or, or having never lost in the first round. Like, mm-hmm. that's absurd. Um, I think, you know, we, we, we tend to take him for granted. And I think, you know, I don't think this will settle the debate one way or the other if he wins it, but it's just another notch and it allows it to kind of maybe the pendulum starts to swing back a little bit closer right. to the middle. Um, but we're never going to have an answer to it. If you're a LeBron guy, you're a LeBron guy. If you're a Jordan guy, you're a Jordan guy. Um, it was funny to hear that apparently Skip Bayless wrote it. So uh, I'm sorry, uh, Shannon Sharp wrote it from, you know, that's, that's his pseudonym. So I, I, I don't mind now it being ambiguous. If I wrote something or Shannon Sharp wrote something, I don't mind that. Yeah, yeah, that's all good. I, I mean, I feel like the last dance documentary gave some new uh, fire into the Jordan debate. You know, I think some LeBron guys, younger people who never really got to see Jordan play and didn't have his narrative saw that documentary and went, oh, okay, he's the best. So I would really love to see him pull it off this year with the Lakers and just even that argument again and make people start chopping each other's heads off in the press. It's fun. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it is what it is, right? It's a, it's a, it, it, it's fun conversation to have yeah. um, in that regard, you know, greatest of all times. 
Well, Skip Bayless may not know who he is, but you know who he is. I know who he is. And now everybody knows who he is. He's Mo Dockhill. Mo, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, no, thank you guys for having me. All right, playing with getting contact with the show. You can email us at thetuneuppodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us at thetuneuphq on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow him on Twitter at Benny Horowitz1, number one in your minds, number one in your hearts, number one on Twitter. I'm at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Same as last week, man. Stay vigilant, stay focused, stay organized, and everybody love everybody. And Benny, King of Staten Island? Good movie. Go see it. Listen, anything with Buscemi <laughs> is going to get me to watch, so I'm going to watch it. And Bill Burr. Yeah. Phenomenal. <laughs> this has been The Tune-Up.